Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Doug Gilchrist. Doug is the city manager for the city of Kelowna. Welcome to the podcast, Doug. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Looking forward to a conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm really, really excited to have a chat with you. And I should just mention Kelowna for those who, who may not uh, know exactly where in the world uh, that is, is in British Columbia in Canada. And uh, so I, I'm, uh, yeah, excited to, to chat with you. First of all, tell us a little bit about you and what you do as city manager for the city of Kelowna. Um, so yeah, I'm a, a father of two, uh, a wife of one, and uh, I'm the, the yeah the city manager for a city of Kelowna. We're about a uh, hundred, just under 150,000 people, uh, halfway between Calgary and Vancouver. In fact, the biggest city between Vancouver and Calgary in Western Canada. Um, we've got an organization of a little over 1,100 people, about a 500 million dollar a year expenditure budget. And we are the fastest growing city in Canada as of the census that was released uh, just a few weeks ago. And it's a real wow. uh, outdoor playground. We're on a, a 90 mile long lake and uh, some mountains around us and a real outdoor uh, playground type of environment, which a lot of people come here for. Uh, yeah. So we got um, a great deal of retirees and lots of young people who are, who are big on skiing, mountain biking, water skiing, and all those kinds of things. Amazing, yeah. That's uh, what an incredible place, and and uh, wonderful to learn about uh, how fast um, the city is growing. That that's exciting. Uh, let's hear about your story. I I would love to know as a starting point. If we think back to you growing up in your childhood, what are some of the moments or even some themes from that season of your life that have really shaped you becoming the person and the leader you are today, Doug? Hmm. Um. Well, I grew up in northern British Columbia. I grew up in a small town called Kitimat that had a little less than 10,000 people, an industry town, uh, a lot of outdoor lifestyle, hunting and fishing, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, interestingly, a lot of people from my hometown have made it to fairly significant roles in whatever field they may have chosen. The people that are head of marketing companies in the NHL, we've had uh, very successful professional athletes. Lots of different things come out of that small town. And, and I don't know what it is for all of those people that drove them to, to success, like proportionally quite a large number of people, I would say. Um, but for me, I think one of the things that early on kind of set the tone for me was, was sports. Um, being really heavily involved in all kinds of sports and, and being challenged and and uh, trying to uh, keep up with kind of either my older brother or people um, a little bit uh, older than me in the groups that I played on or the teams that I played on. And, you know, sports drove a lot, I think, of my uh, 
competition, my uh, uh, camaraderie and teamwork. And, and, you know, to this day, I think some of that still sticks with me a little bit in my, um, in my passion to you know, strive uh, for something a little bit more. You know, part of that type A personality definitely comes from, uh, come from, comes from the athletics world for me. Mm. Um, and of course, your parents, uh, you know, I think anyone is shaped by the environment they grow up in quite significantly. And, and my parents had a similar level of drive, both of them. And I, I learned a lot. And uh, I think a big chunk of my personality is as a result of what they instilled in me when I was uh, when I was quite young. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's funny you mentioned sports because it's the same for me. I, I love sport and um, I have a memory, not so much from when I was uh, really young. More, This was actually when I was in my 20s. But I remember playing for a soccer team and I wasn't very fit when I first joined this team. And so I didn't make the first team. I, I was in the reserves. And what I remember about the preseason and um, and being part of this team, which was at really at a higher level than I had ever played before, is I just remember turning up. I, I remember, you know, feeling ill after training because we were sort of pushing so hard on fitness. I remember a long drive to training, you know, a couple of times a week. And and um, it's so funny, but uh, for me, I, I remember just pushing myself probably harder than I'd ever pushed myself before and getting to the point with my fitness where I started actually playing really well and then getting to the point where I was, I felt like, you know, I was doing really well in the reserve team. And, and I remember this one moment where with all this work I'd put in, I was able to dribble past a few people and score this goal that was for me, I just remember it so fondly because it was, it felt like the, the fruit of all that work. And it felt like I'd come in and been right at the bottom of the pack, but I'd just worked week in, week out and uh, ended up getting selected for the first team and then um, having some great moments there. But it's funny how I, I really learned a lesson there about, you know, as someone said on a previous episode of the podcast, grinders win. You know, just that idea that if you just get mm-hmm. in and turn up and work hard and not just work hard at getting stuff done, but work hard at the people side of what you do, um, you know, work hard on becoming a better leader, work hard on, on these things. And you just, you do the grind, you know, then then there's great fruit for that. So that's something that just popped into my mind as, as you shared that. What about for you, as you think back to the sporting days in the, in the small town you grew up, are there any stories, are there any moments where Doug was on the, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, was playing in the middle of a game, something that's always burned in your memory and, and taught you sort of a lesson that, that's uh that stayed sort of helpful until this day any memories or stories specifically from those sporting days yeah for sure um i think there's a few for me for in in the sporting world um and i i find that it's good for debate as well when you think of you know people who are born at the latter end of the year and they're bigger stronger faster uh they will tend to do better in sport and and there's a whole theory around that and and a philosophy. And I actually think it's quite the opposite. Um, and maybe it's because of my own experience, but I was born uh, in December. At the very end of December, I was always the youngest kid in my class. Uh, I was always one of the smallest. Um, but as a result of that, I had to strive to work harder, to, not only to keep up, but if I was going to excel, um, I had to be that much more 
on my game and on top of my efforts or my training or whatever it is to be there. And I think that, that, that kind of helps shape your character. And lacrosse was my sport. I know it's not you know, widely known worldwide, but it's got a long history and in fact was Canada's national game for a long, long time. Um, and for me, when I, when I went to play in the provincials or states for some people, the state provincial level, um, I, I really wanted to play up at those, those rep teams and play at those teams that got to go travel. Um, but in order to do that as a, as a one year younger guy from some of them, you know, you just had to grind it out and be there every day. Um, so I would play in as many uh, divisions as possible. It asked to allow them to play me, play up a level, uh, be the first guy on the floor, last one off, take my stick to school uh, and play in the backyard, wherever we could. And um, like that sticks with me right to today in terms of work ethic. Um, you know, I, I always struggle with the conversations around uh, work-life balance and you know, the, the old, people call it old school mentality when you're the first one in and the last one to leave. You know, that's old school. That's not the way we work anymore. I, I don't think there is any replacement for hard work. Um, and, that, and that is evidenced for me through my career in, in sports, for sure. Um, lacrosse it, it was, was my sport. Volleyball was another one. And, you know, I gravitated to um, the setter position which is kind of like the quarterback of lacrosse, right? You get to call the shots and make the plays and, and you know, get the guys who are out there pounding the ball to do the right thing, all about strategy. Uh, so I think there was different ways to use um, a lack of size um, to my advantage to help manage and run different aspects of the teams I was on. And uh, it stuck with me for sure as a big part of who I am. Yeah, I, uh, I I agree. One of my and I've mentioned this before. But one of my favorite podcast episodes. I'm a big Seinfeld fan, and uh, Jerry Seinfeld mm-hmm. did a a, uh, a chat with Tim Ferriss on the Tim Ferriss Show. And what really struck me, anyone who loves Seinfeld should check out that episode. By the way, it's so good. Um, but Jerry Seinfeld just talked about you know Tim Ferriss was sort of saying, how have you been so successful in a in a career that is so demanding and like you talk about cutting edge, making people laugh and staying, uh, you know, so on the, on the edge with really, you know, great humor. And he's been able to do that. And he, and he really did bring it back to work ethic and said, I just learned early on to write and create and just sit down. And no matter how long I had to sit there, even if I didn't write anything, I would still sit there and try. And I would just do that daily, you know, weekly. And this discipline meant I was always creating new ideas and then I'd go and I'd test them. And it's funny, you just, I feel like you expect someone like that to just have these really ethereal, uh, you know, oh, wow, abstract ideas of why he's so good. But I love the fact that even the genius of comedy came back to hard work. Yeah, I think yeah he's a he's a great uh, a great personality to dig into a little bit. Uh, you know this notion of natural talent uh, that the people that we think of in sport or in in comedy or in business that they're a natural talent. I think when you you learn more about them or you read their biography or what have you, um, they're always underpinned by an incredible amount of hard work. I think there's very very few. 
people in the in the world that their natural talent is what took them to to where they are. If you you know the Richard Bransons or the Elon Musk or whomever you think of around the mm. globe, there's a a part of them that that had inevitably to grind something out over the years. Yeah, the Richard Branson autobiographies are two of my. Uh, I think there's two is sort of a part one and part two. Um, uh, two of my favorite books, just because he does. He talks about the stories and he talks about just the the grind of you know the early years and the those moments when um, when he he sort of bet it all on an idea and it came through, but it may not have. And the last minute moments and and you realize the slog you realize the just how hard he has worked and i think i think for me that is encouraging because it you know there's a lot i can't control about the world there's a lot i can't control about me and what my gifts are but i can choose to turn up and give 110 percent yeah for sure I mean, and talent is um is earned and learned right I mean, there's, there's that notion of natural talent um, I think is a bit uh, overused um, mm. in sport for sure, but in, in other areas of business uh, as well, it's, it's, it's earned and learned. Yeah, absolutely. So if we fast forward for you, and um, this might still be um, in, uh, in, I guess, younger years or even in sport, but do you remember the first sort of leadership opportunity you had where there was a group of people, I mean, you've already mentioned being that role on, on the lacrosse team. Um, but any, anything that you remember going in hindsight, well, yeah, that was really the first time I was able to really lead a group of people. I was responsible for a project or a team, the first sort of leadership opportunity or significant leadership opportunity. Um, yeah. And I'd say kind of in my career, as opposed to youth or sport, um, I really found that project work, leadership and project work was something I, I gravitated towards, you know, something that I could see the, there, there was an end to it, um, and then driving forward to, to that end and doing things differently. And, you know, to, to, this, to this day, for sure, I think part of my success is the willingness to do something, do things a little bit differently and break the mold um, I often say to my team, you know, challenge the status quo um, and, and, and get rid of um, low value activities. And, you know, that came with a lot of question from people at times. They're like, well, what do you mean? Question the status quo. We're, we're a great city. Then we keep doing what we've been doing. No, that's not going to take us into the future. So for me, um, leading through, through initiatives kind of taught me that that if we're going to get this project or this initiative over the line, we're not going to be able to do it the way we've done it in the past. We're going to have to break the mold. And going way back, uh, I used to work for the federal government in what was then called the Department of Indian Affairs. And um, we had to do a, uh, a long-term lease to do a major development project, three, 400 units of housing. And we came to a roadblock in, in this project uh, where the developer uh, who wanted to invest, you know, tens of millions of dollars, wanted a really long-term tenure, and the only tenure that this federal agency would give is 99 years. And so I asked the question, you know, I've never really asked this. I've worked here three years, but why is it 99 years? 
And nobody can answer the question, not the lawyers, not the people I worked with, not the people who put all the leases in place before me. And I said, well, if we do, you know, 108 years, that'll give the developer nine years to develop and he'll still have a 100 year lease or a 99 year lease. And people's op people just open their eyes. Can we do that? So well, of course we can do that. Why not? Why can't we do it? There's no law opposing it. Um, and then I, I found myself really showing the way with a whole bunch of people of, that were senior to me and actually having to go to Ottawa, our nation's capital, um, to get a federal uh, order and cabinet to change the protocol around how these 10 years worked. Um, and then since then, it's been done many times. So you know, this is 20 years ago now. <laughs> But it was a real leadership moment for me to recognize that um, doesn't matter where you sit in an organization or what level, uh, you can change some pretty significant things, uh, whether it's culturally, legislatively, or, or simply how how business is done. That's that's incredible. Were you? Uh, like, how did you feel when you were in the room suggesting this to people who were more senior than you? I think at the time it was um, it was kind of uh, bold, and I could have easily just as easily have been shot down. But I had people around me, uh, my manager, who actually at the time she was one of my greatest mentors, the first woman that I actually ever worked for, and opened my eyes to to uh, to um, her as a as a mentor um, for many years. Actually, after that, probably the best I'll call it boss I've ever had. In fact. Um, the support around me at that time uh, made all the difference. You know, I had the latitude to do what uh, could be done. The um, acknowledgement that you know people at all levels can lead, um, things like that, and those are things I certainly haven't forgotten. Now that uh, I'm leading people, uh, go back and, and rec remember and recognize what helped me be successful in my younger years. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's an incredible story. I'd love to um, focus in on on. Um the leader you just mentioned at saying that she was probably the best leader you've ever had. Are there any stories, any other stories, because you mentioned one there, but any other stories from your time uh, where she was leading you that come to mind where she handled a uh, mistake or handled a crisis or, um, you know, there was just something that she said that stuck with you. Any stories from her leadership that spring to mind? Yeah. Um, she was a very, um, soft-spoken um soft-spoken leader but you knew there was a hard edge to her if there needed to be um that you could rely on her to back you up that she would be there in a negotiation uh, if necessary and that's the kind of thing but very conversational personal uh style of leadership which for me was very different than i i, I grew up in a in a kind of hard and fast uh uh, you know, the, the golden rule and the guy who has the gold makes the rules type of environment, not militaristic, but, you know, a fairly, um, very strict environment. And this was the first time in a, in a professional career where it was very, um, very loose, uh, very um, easy environment to be comfortable and open in. And uh, she was just, she was fantastic that way. Gave me all kinds of rope uh, to, to, to work within uh, and latitude that didn't really exist in a lot of environments back then, kind of a rule bound environment, you know, 25 years ago. 
And this, yeah. she was my first experience in something that was less rule bound. And uh, she was just really, really big influence on me. How did she do that in a rule bound environment managed to give you rope? Um, I think she quite frankly dismissed some of the rules and, and, and that appealed to me because, uh, um, I think I, I take rules as guidelines. I'd say even, even now that whoever wrote those rules is no, no smarter or no brighter than you and I, and they did their best at the time, but you know, the rules are even legislation for that matter is, is written, uh, to try and come, uh, um, govern as many circumstances possible, but it's certainly not going to cover every, every possibility. So mm. I, I take the rules with a grain of salt and you work within them the best you can, but you've got to have uh, have and give people latitude to be creative. I mean, that's where real real innovation comes from is, is working outside the box. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so further on in your career and even up to more recently, I'm interested if there are any aha moments that really spring to mind where for some reason, something is sort of burned in your memory where, where the penny dropped around a leadership lesson, uh, where you, you, uh, sort of were part of something that, that has really stuck with you and, and taught you something about, um, about a particular style of leadership or a truth in leadership, any aha moments that spring to mind uh, in your in your career? Um, there's um, my, my brother and I. My brother's also a, he's a fairly successful um, uh, person in, in his own right in in, ter- in IT business, largely most of, most of his career. And he and I kind of consider ourselves fairly regular people, I think. And I remember years ago when, when both of us kind of graduated into fairly senior positions and um, we kind of had looked at each other and then had conversation around, you know, surely there's people better than us for these roles. You know, we're not that smart. Um, half joking. Um, but I think what I learned from those conversations and then through initiatives, and I'll share one in a second, but uh, is the idea that we are the change, right? Like we, we're the, whether whatever generation you're in, you're the person that can make that change. And you can't sit around and wait around for somebody else who you think is better than you uh, or smarter than you or in the right position. Uh, if you want to see change occur or you want to get a, a project or an initiative or launch a business, um, don't wait for somebody better than you. You're the one to do it. And the example I'll use is years ago, it's actually fairly recent here, but about six or seven years ago now, uh, we had a, a 50 mile or royal, uh, 50 kilometer rail corridor that ran right from our city through a few other cities along some beautiful topography, lake to lake to lake. And this rail corridor was coming up for disposition. The, CN, Canadian National Railway, was selling it. And there's a very structured process for disposing of a railway corridor. It goes to the federal government, the provincial government, First Nation government, and then municipal government, which of course is us. And I sat in a room with a group of very senior people at the time, and nobody took a keen interest in it. They said, oh, we're not going to bid on it. The feds aren't going to bid on it. And it was just, this opportunity to do something unique was just going to pass us by. 
and uh, I was blown away that that people couldn't see the vision for or the value and opportunity of this corridor for uh, a rail trail, all alternate modes of transportation, whatever that might be. Um, so I stepped up and had the support of the then city manager um, to say, there's no way we're letting this pass us by and created an interjurisdictional committee. We negotiated the deal, it took about a year and a half and secured tenure to something um, that I don't think anybody in the room thought was possible, never mind possible by a, a small municipality. Um, wow. And that for me was a big reminder that, uh, um, you know, there aren't necessarily better and smarter and and brighter people around you. You might be it uh, and go after what it is uh, you think is in front of you that's the right thing to do. Yeah, that's um, that's so good. I, I love that story. Um, let's uh, well, let's and, and today, to... just to tell you where it's at. Yeah. Uh, and sorry, just to, to, to tell you where that's at today, we're actually embarking right now with the local university, um, University of British Columbia, uh, very well-known uh, university, uh, to investigate the possibility of developing that corridor into something like a, a fully electric autonomous uh, vehicle corridor that links the university, our downtown, and our international airport. Um, and that wouldn't have been possible if we didn't uh, step back and say, how important is this, and, and let's take it on. Um, so we'll see what comes of it and hopefully something really significant after all that effort and time. Incredible. Uh, what a wonderful story. Well, let's jump into Leadership Express. I've got a few questions for you. Are you ready? Uh, sure. <laughs> okay, first one. What is a book that you've gifted to other people? Uh, a book. I like a lot of adventure books, but one that I've probably given to people more than anything, um, maybe a bit obscure, obscure one, Dan Millman is the author. It's called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And uh, it's more of a um, philosophical book. He talks, he puts a story in front of you to tell a philosophical story, which was a big departure for me from my typical readings. This is probably 15 or 20 years ago. And since then, I've given to, to a number of people who probably also don't read that type of book very often. And uh, it's a great one. You have to be in the right headspace or the right place to read it, you know, floating around in a boat or <laughs> something like that. But uh, it gives you a different view of the world. No, that's a wonderful recommendation. Thank you. Uh, I love it. What about right now? Are you in the middle of any books? Are you loving any podcasts, any blogs you're following or, or anything else that you're watching, reading, listening to, and really enjoying right now? Um, so sadly, most of my reading is um, work-related these, these these days, but podcasts, yeah, when I'm running or working out. Um, uh, I love the Bill Maher show, Real Time with Bill Maher. I think he's, he's hilarious, and I love the way he uses humor and politics together. He's really funny. And then Smartless with Jason Bateman and Will Arnett. Uh, is another, uh, I think, a really funny, easy to listen to uh, group of folks who sometimes tackle some tough topics and, and in a good humorous way, keeps things light. Yeah. Once, once again, love those recommendations. That's great. Do you have any favorite questions you ask, Doug, when you are in a one-on-one -on -one or you're with a team uh, to stakeholders? Any favorite questions you find yourself asking? 
Um, when people are, are, are challenging me, in the public sector, people challenge what you do all the time. What you, what you do, why you do it, why aren't you doing this or that or the other thing. Um, and not to, be, not to be a jerk, but I often try and put the question back to them um, just to make it a more uh, open conversation. It sometimes settles down uh, the room a little bit if it's, uh, if it's hot or if it's, uh, you know, if, um, it's, if it's not a, a positive conversation that's going on. And just ask them, well, what would you do in my role? You know, if you were, if you were the city manager or you had this tough decision to make between X or Y, uh, what would you do? Maybe that'll give me some, some better insight to where you're coming from. And uh, it's not a negotiating tactic or, tactic or trying to turn the tables, but really change the conversation sometimes if it's not going in the right direction by asking those questions back. And then spending, spending some time to listen. Um, often, I think yeah. I find people are trying are are looking for an avenue to vent, and ask that 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 type of a question with them, and it tends to decompress the the room a little bit. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that question. That's that's really good. Uh, what is a commonly held belief in leadership that you passionately disagree with? Hmm. Well, I talked about the hard work one <laughs> already. Um, passionately held belief that I disagree with. Um, yeah, I think that the notion of, I won't say I disagree with this, but people often use this term too loosely. Uh, leadership comes from everywhere. Um, I think leadership comes from specific types of people. And you have to recognize in your organization who those people are. I think it's really critical to identify the right people to lead. And there are some who want to be led. Um, and you have to recognize who, who those are as well. There are, and I think this goes for lots of different types of organizations, but there are definitely people in an organization that want to just be shown the path. They, they, uh, they believe in you. And they want you to show show them the path, and then there's others that want to step out and help you define the path. Um, mm. But not everybody wants to be led the same way. So the the notion that everybody's a leader or everybody wants to be led, I think, is 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 quite misleading. And yeah. uh, the way you lead a team has to be much more thoughtful and purposeful. Any tips on how to distinguish between the two and and uh, who to look for to invest in? as leaders within an organization? Uh, there's a few different sort of tools that we use to do that. Uh, we have something called a people leader meeting every year where we have the senior leadership group get together and we talk about uh, the stars in the organization. You know, who, who's really showing glimpses of, of possibility or uh, energy who really step up and really uh, taking some time to talk about those people somewhat personally say that, you know, this person really has this great attribute and then having others counter that or support that so we can uh, identify a bit of a roster uh, of future stars in the organization to then invest in them, you know, help bring them along. Um, and I think the, the other one is really trying to look for people who have the right character uh, instead of, say, just talent or work ethic, but also character. Who are those people that are really passionate about what they do who always put forward a good argument, who are thoughtful in their responses. Uh, when they speak, people listen to them. 
uh, really um, uh, being um, cognizant of those people and taking note of them, not letting them sort of pass by. Because if you don't um, pay attention and invest in them, those are the ones that will inevitably leave. They'll be they'll, yeah. they'll be headhunted or they'll find a better opportunity and um, recognizing them. You know, when you have somebody like that, um, sometimes all it takes to keep them in your organization is recognizing them, going over and saying, you know what, you, you're doing a hell of a job here. You have lots of potential, it's great possibility. Let me know if you want to step up and take on the initiative or something like that. And that recognition yeah. can go, I think, a really long way. Yeah, I agree. I love that. It's so simple too, but so true. Uh, what is a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or been reminded of? Um, something that really, the, I don't want to say the light bulb went on for me because it's not, it's not brand new for me. It's something I used to say to the person who sat in my seat before me. Um, but it's the, the level of influence you have as a leader. Um, you know, whether you, whether we like it or not, when you sit in certain positions in an organization, uh, people are watching and your organization or your department or division or whatever it is. They will adapt to your management style or your philosophy. Um, and I think if you're a strong leader, they'll, they'll, they'll adapt your vision, but they will also potentially start to emulate the way you behave uh, in order to appeal to you or um, just because they think that's the right thing to do. Well, he's successful, so I should do it that way. So the level of, the level of influence you have as a leader is so cultural. Uh, and if you look at organizations that had a really strong uh, leader, whether he was polarizing or not, or she was polarizing or, or a great leader, um, those organizations that have those leaders in place for a long time, they start to take on the personality or culture of that, of that leader. And yeah. that's, uh, that's an, an impact you have to be respectful of um, and that you recognize that your influence, the things you say, can shape the behavior of a lot of people in an organization and you better be better be purposeful in what you do and what you say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's a great piece of advice you've received? It could be about leadership, but it could be just in life. Um, well, not so much maybe in leadership, but in, in I'll call it management. Um, one of the things I learned not to do as much as I had in the past was uh, I like to systematize everything. You know, we need a policy or we need a practice or we need a system. Um, and that really takes away from people's genuine ability to, to get things done or perhaps it, uh, um, um, lack of innovation if, if you do things that way. And um, I really stepped back from that. I, I historically wanted to systematize everything that we did. Um, from a small procurement practice to whatever it might be. And I think that, that hurt, can hurt an organization. You know, you introduce bureaucracy or what have you. That was a big one for me. And then another one is recognizing the pace of people around you. You know, we have people that move at a different pace. If you wanna introduce change or you wanna move a project forward or, or whatever it might be, Typically, the people initiating those want to move at a quicker pace than the people around them. And um, if you don't move at the pace of the people around you to a degree, 
you're going to be doing it on your own. You won't have the support of the organization around you. So just being really mindful of the pace people are willing to move at. And, you know, you can move, you can advance them and you can shift or bring in the right people. But uh, being able to take a step back and, and recognize the, the pace of the people around you. Yeah, absolutely. What is a movie or TV show that really impacted you? <laughs> a movie or TV show? Um, this is an obscure movie. I don't know if anybody will have heard of it. And uh, certainly I don't think it won any awards, but there's a movie with Jeff Bridges called The White Squall. Uh, probably back in the 90s, I would guess. And he was a, a, the captain of a big sailing sloop. But it was, uh, he took students out and uh, it was part of a program, a leadership program, I think. And they learned how to sail and they learned how to work with one another and everything like that. And it was, uh, I love boating. So that was, that was part of the appeal to me. Um, but in the movie, after he's, they've had all these battles amongst one another, these kids, and they've learned to be a team and, and that sort of thing, they uh, hit a rogue wave and six of the crew members, the kids, die. And he ends up in court over it. And, you know, later on, six months or a year later, and there's a big inquisition and he's in, in court over it. And the kids, you know, he's got to stand behind them. He's willing to take the fall, even though it wasn't his fault. And all of those kids that he had brought along come together um, as a team. And they stand up and kind of start chanting in the court and everything like that. And it's a big tearful event. And, and uh, eventually they, they let him off, off the hook. But it just the way he built those kids up and taught them and, uh, you know, protected them and had their back and supported them and stuff uh, came back to him. In, in a similar way when he was under the gun and it's just a, it's a really cool show and uh, and really well done yeah that's uh that's a wonderful recommendation i haven't heard of that i love jeff bridges though so um particularly mm -hmm. love his work in the newsroom i don't know if you've seen that there were only three seasons but um wonderful series uh around journalism and he's just oh man he's so good in that Awesome. Okay, last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say, Doug? Um, be bold and be seen. Um, I, I often say to some of my, my team members, don't be afraid of being too far out of the box or pushing the envelope too, too far. Um, the organization that you work in or society or whatever it is, they'll always check you up, right? They will bring you back to what's realistic or possible. Uh, so be bold and, and be seen, uh, you know, not everybody can necessarily see the great work of people in different parts of an organization. And, mm -hmm. uh, you have to step out a little bit and allow that to be shown and be unapologetic about it. You know, you don't have to be self-congratulatory. Nobody likes that, that level of arrogance or anything like that. But, um, you know, a little bit of subtle uh, uh, promotion or, or just be seen, step up and help out and, uh, and be noticed. I think those are, those are two keys to being able to move along. Uh, I know careers are, have a horizon on them and uh, the opportunities come by not that often. You got to take advantage of them. So 
So be bold yeah. and be seen. That'd be my advice. Wonderful. Yeah, no, I love that advice. That's really good. Uh, so for people who've loved today and, and want to find out uh, more about uh, Kelowna, uh, maybe join the uh, join those numbers in terms of the the people flocking to Kelowna, uh, but uh, also people who might want to connect with you online, say on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, any thoughts for how people can find out more about you and, and the city, Doug? You mean other than exclusively on the John O'White po podcast show from Australia? Um, <laughs> yes, certainly, certainly the city of Kelowna. We have our fair share of Australians and lots of people coming from around the globe. We've kind of been discovered, it seems, with the pace of growth that we have. So, yeah, look us up on the uh, city of Kelowna and uh, certainly me uh, on, on LinkedIn. You can just find me at Doug Gilchrist and that's probably the best way to, to get a hold of me or, or connect with me. Yeah, wonderful. Well, I want to thank our listeners uh, for tuning in. This has been a really fun episode. I have appreciated the stories Doug's told and um, just some great wisdom around leadership. It's It's been a really rich uh, episode, actually. I've really loved it. So for our listeners, don't forget, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast, two other places you can go to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Doug, for being so generous with your time, for sharing wonderful stories, uh, starting, you know, with uh, the story of you on on the lacrosse team. And um, yeah, I just uh, I just love hearing those stories all the way back growing up that have really shaped uh, people like you to do incredible things now um, that you're doing in the city of Kelowna. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, thank you, Jono, and good luck. Really appreciate uh, having the opportunity. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content 
and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself, and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it, and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time. 